Good morning. It is, it is a, a pleasure to be with you guys again. Um, we, we can't express our gratitude enough to, to Northview, as my wife has shared, and having Pam and Steve, what, what a gift that was to, that you, you've given us and allowing them to visit us and share life with us. And, and there's just so many ways in which this community has um, just been life. As those that know from the story, I, I didn't have a church I was a part of, and we had just gotten married, and uh, John Burkholder talked uh, Steve about, about us, and Steve came in and he just says, Make, this will be your home, and he adopted us and used that language. And at the time, I was like, yeah, sure, but I didn't realize he actually meant it. Um, and that uh, this community, and you have as well, every time we come here, we feel at home. When we walk in the door, it's not that, I mean, I visit a lot of churches, and there's always kind of that nice greet, hello, 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 but it's not, that's not the way it is here. It's a genuine sense of, hello, welcome home, and this is home for us, and people that actually know us and pray for us and get our newsletters and, uh, and actually re- recall things that we're doing and stay in touch with us, just so incredibly grateful. Uh, let me share a couple more stories about why we're so grateful for this community as we continue this morning, and even the privilege to be able to share again this morning, I'm so grateful. Uh, so this morning I want to share just a few updates on some things that are happening in South Africa, and then also a message that God has, has put upon my heart for this morning, uh, something I've been walking through and journeying with. And um, for those that, that, that don't know uh, much about us, um, that my wife and I, we've been in missions now for almost 40 years combined, uh, and we have been in South Africa now for about the last 11 years of that time. Uh, that we've been uh, each uh, now, for, yes, it's been 11 years now, I think we've been serving in South Africa with an organization called Youth with a Mission. And uh, the last uh, couple of years have been a wonderful time, uh, also a difficult time. For, first of all, we had our newest, Caleb, uh, nine, he's 10 months old now, was just born in, in August, and it, it brought in a season of joy, but also a season of quite pain, to be honest, uh, for anyone that's been a parent, especially of multiple children. But the reason it was so difficult, and I want to share, is because our, our middle son, Hudson, that smiling, joyful child who could never cause pain to anyone's life ever, because uh, he's so happy, uh, decided upon the birth of Caleb that he could not handle the separation of time from his mother. And so he began waking up five to six, even more times a night, screaming at the top of his lungs at me for about 30 minutes to 90 minutes at a stretch all through the night. And he made sure that we stopped sleeping. Uh, my wife was dealing with Caleb. I was with the other two. And it happened for the first few nights. And then weeks went by. And then month after month, averaging, if we're lucky, three hours on average, two, sometimes less. Meanwhile, life is going on week after week, month after month. This was going on to the point that I was brought to my knees. I mean, Sarah's as well. I was still had to run a program. I was in leadership. I was teaching. I was traveling. I'm in counseling. And it became a running joke with everyone I worked with that I just kept falling asleep all the time because I couldn't function any longer. I'd be counseling people, pouring out their heart, and I'd just fall asleep right in the middle as they're sharing with me. Uh, anytime I'd really have to stand up while talking to people, anytime I close my eyes, I'm out. I mean, it would just become a running gag that James is always sleeping in the classroom, or uh, I'd have to apologize when I'm meeting people. If I fall asleep, I'm sorry. And I'd even go out to teach, and sometimes I was almost nodding off while teaching. I mean, it just got so terrible, I, I couldn't think. And after the whole time, I mean, I'd been praying this time, about, at the end of about almost four months of this going on, I was, I was broken. I was exhausted. My wife and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't function. I can't do anything. I'm beyond exhausted. And at that point, somehow, way too delayed, I thought, let's send out an SOS. Let's, let's email our support list. Let's email our supporters and ask all those that are praying for us, would you please pray for us because we need your help. We're, we're in desperation at this point. I can't function any longer. And we sent out an email in, uh, I think, early December of asking for help in this area. And literally within a couple days, Hudson brought peace into his life. Or the Lord brought peace into Hudson's life, sorry. And he just began to sleep. And all the anger, the angst just disappeared instantly. 
it was just this immediate answer to prayer. And so again, I want to say thank you to this community. Those have been praying for us and supporting us and with that way that it, it matters. And we knew in that place it's a reminder that we are not alone in this battle. And I just wish I would have not been so foolish to wait four months uh, in that process. And I'll try and be a little quicker the next time. Um, but uh, in South Africa, we work with an organization called Youth with a Mission. Um, Youth with a Mission is a large missions organization that has worked across the globe. And in our expression in South Africa, we have a, a, it's called a YWAM base there that has about 200 or so full-time staff that work there. That's kind of a picture of our primary operating location uh, in Musenberg, South Africa, in Cape Town. And uh, we're a bit unique in, in regards to Youth with a Mission globally. We're one of the larger, larger bases, but one of the things that really makes us unique is the vast majority of all our staff don't even work in traditional training as far as discipleship programs or Bible schools. The vast majority actually work in the communities under a host of different ministries, whether it be church planting or aquaponics or uh, anti-human trafficking or uh, job skill creation. Y- you name it, there's someone doing that type of ministry in the community and having incredible impact. And part of our role is helping to oversee the broader ministries of, of South Africa and from leadership perspective. And uh, one of the stories I just want to highlight is that just it brought joy uh, just recently. One of our, um, our you know, Wyoming guys, he had this vision as he was working in the community, doing similar work to what I do of working with uh, the gangsters in some of these very impoverished, very violent communities. And he, his vision was to be able to get the gang leaders together to be able to get them to start dealing with some of the issues. Because so much of what goes on there is really because no one ever talks. Um, and so there's all this fighting and violence. And I mean, ter- South Africa is one of the more violent places on the globe. And so he had this vision, but he says, I need, what I need is a mobile conference room, he said. I, I need a, a way to get these guys together. But he says, I also have a passion to be able to do job skill creation, to be able to do a mobile IT center. And at the same time, while we're doing that, I want to be able to do like a mobile kids club so we can do all these things going together. And he had this vision. He sat with God. And he's like, I want a double-decker bus. I want a fancy double-decker bus with a fancy conference room and a nice IT center. And everyone's going, you're crazy. You're a young person. No one's ever going to see this happen. How are you ever going to see this happen? He's like, nope, I believe it. So in faith, he went out and got his bus driver's license for South Africa. He believed we're going to make this happen. What's going to happen? There was no money. It was over $100,000 to get the kind of bus that he wanted. And most people were just kind of like, who can we do? But as leadership, we were standing with him going, yes, we trust with you. Um, we'll, we'll, We'll stand with you. And we believe in God. And well, very shortly after that time, he was con- in contact with KLM Airlines. They, every time you fly with them, they give you a little envelope asking you to donate some money, and they've done some projects with YWAM before. And he shared the vision with them, and they said, we love it. And so they bought him a bus. And uh, this is a very fancy, very expensive bus with a mobile conference center, a mobile IT center in the bottom, and a children's youth program that can be un- go out all, all the way. I mean, God is just good with this kind of stuff, right? And just someone that had a vision and what we love is empowering vision. People that come with an excitement say, God, what do you want to do? And let's do that into this community. And it's just exciting to me to see the way that we have the freedom to be able to move in that way and the way that God just kind of gives a vision and then he provides for it. It's just, it's so beautiful to see. Um, I want to give a little update on a couple things since the last time I was here sharing that you guys have been kind of following with. And, and first is, is yet another thank you. And that is, uh, I was just on the phone yesterday with uh, Manuel and Grace, dear friends of mine that have become friends of yours. And I want to say thank you to you guys that you have also adopted my closest friends into your family as well. And you've treated them as your own. He, he says hi. Uh, for those that don't know, Emmanuel and Grace are now headed out uh, next month. They're leaving to go start the, the program in, back in their home to work with uh, Muslim converts who have left their homes, uh, have, sorry, become Christians, and as a result have been kicked out of their homes, lost their jobs, lost everything. 
And so starting in January, they're going to begin the first program of training the staff. And uh, Emmanuel and I are working very closely together as the, their curriculum is kind of being designed after what we're using in South Africa on this two-year journey that we are doing. And then in January, I'm going to fly up and help him kick that program off uh, as, we, as we get started. So just, again, it's just, it overwhelms me, just the, the generosity and the love of this community to pour into what, what God is doing. And I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful. Um, another point of follow-up from what we shared before. I've talked before about my buddy, Charlie. Uh, and those of you on newsletters, I often share with him and his journey. Charlie was a guy I met six years ago. Um, he was one of the gang leaders in the community, and uh, he'd been in prison 24 times by the age of 24 for every crime you can imagine. He was one of the most notorious criminals in one of the local townships of, and was famous for his violence, his anger, and his breaking in just constantly against, and the Lord just really challenged me to walk with him every day. I'd be going out finding him and wherever he was at and whatever drug den, doing whatever, and we'd just be hanging out. And over time, he gave his life to Christ, and eventually he became a true leader in his community, got a wonderful job in a, in a, in a nonprofit that he's been working in and seeing really just incredible fruit in his life. But just recently, the national media in South Africa picked up on his story. And so their version of like the Today Show or Good Morning America in South Africa actually did an expose on Charlie. And I just want to play a little quick segment of that. Now, the Butterfly Art Project encourages creativity and helps children to heal from various stressful life situations through art. And one of the art teachers, Charlie Janssen, has undergone a personal transformation, which makes him our Mandela Monday hero. I am from the community, so I can actually honestly see what they are going through. I can see when a child isn't feeling well, when a child is feeling hungry. So for me, working with the kids, it gives me a sense of joy because like I know now I'm doing something positive and I'm giving back to my community. After Charlie Janssen served his time in prison, he turned his life around and started teaching at an educate center. The principal introduced him to the Butterfly Art Project and he's now a full-time art teacher with the organization. A few years ago I was against and like I broke down my community so I've, I saw this opportunity whereby I wanted to change my life in a way where I could actually give back to my community whereby I don't want the kids to go through what I went through because now I can make a positive impact and I can direct or steer them away from the choices I made here. So being here at the Butterfly Art Project makes me feel good about myself and makes me to help my community here. It's been such a joy watch him grow up and see God become the center of his life and to see him impact the people. And the nonprofit's actually a, Christ, a non-Christian nonprofit. It's a, a German atheistic nonprofit with very few Christians. I don't think there's actually any Christians aware that work there. And Charlie, the former gang member, prisoner, is the one that's actually reaching out to the people that work at the nonprofit, serving in the community and, and sharing his faith with them. It's just such an incredible thing. He's always asking questions about how to deal with atheists and how to deal with Germans and how to do that. He's trying to share his life with them. And and it's just, it's just so beautiful to see him stepping out in such a way. In fact, Pam and Steve were able to meet with him and have a barbecue with him when they were in South Africa and hang out with him. Um, another guy I just want to introduce you to, just in a similar vein, is, is my buddy Gordon. Uh, Gordon is another man that comes from actually an even more violent area of, of, of Cape Town and specifically the centerpiece of all the gang activity where no one goes for the most part because of the amount of violence that happens there. And Gordon, uh, at a young age, got involved in gangs, came from the most broken home you can imagine, where almost all of his family members have been victims of gang violence and are no longer with us. And so he, in retaliation, also joined the same life and, and, and committed murder and spent 10 years in prison uh, for that crime. And upon coming out, he gave his life to the Lord, and people brought him to us and said, James, would you walk with this guy and disciple him? And so we, we invited him to be part of our um, a discipleship program we were running this uh, September of last year. 
And uh, it was incredible. He came really, I think, more from a desire to get out of his family because being released from prison was great, but he had nowhere to go. And so he had no money. And so he came with us for a place of safety and security. And he began to grow in the ways of Jesus. And through that time, he really fell in love with Jesus and began to serve him. And by the end of that program, I was begging him to stay with us, join us as staff, because his testimony is incredible, this guy. I mean, he's just covered in all these gang tattoos. He looks as mean as anyone will ever see. If you meet him in the street, you'd be terrified from from before when he, he, he has this greatest smile man, when he looks mean, all of a sudden you just jump back because it's, it's pretty terrifying. Um, and, and he has this incredible story. I'm like, please work with us. And the, the, the thing that he came to me was almost in tears. He's like, James, I would love to work with you. However, he says, I feel that God is calling me to go back and work with my family because there's no one going back in my community. There's no one that will touch my community. I want to take Jesus back to my community, back to my family, to those people who have no opportunity to ever hear about him. And so I'm just so blessed by this young's courage, this young man's faith, his courage, and his willingness to just not just love Jesus, but then allow Jesus, at the very risk to his own life, take him back into those places where, where uh, very few people would ever be willing to travel. Um, and, and there's so many other things I could, I could share about as far as... Uh, we can pause the show for a second, hold it the slides. There's so many other stories I could share, but the majority of our energy the last couple of years has been going into this two-year discipleship program we've been running. And uh, the, the kind of the history behind that, we work with Youth of the Mission, but a few years ago, uh, when I was doing my master's degree in discipleship, uh, I, I had to do some interviews, actually quite a few interviews, with missionaries from our organization and, and beyond that. And one of, the, one of the primary questions that I was asking people was to get a sense of how people were doing relationship to their relationship with God. And I was asking, uh, do you feel that you're living your life out of a place of, uh, of overflow, of, 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 of a life in Christ? Or do you feel that you're living in a dryness or that you're feeling that you're running on fumes? And to my shock, actually, I mean, I knew there were problems because I mentor and work with a lot of these guys. But the vast majority, I mean, the vast, vast majority of everyone I met with, and there was a lot of people, and these, again, are missionaries, people who have given their lives to serve for the gospel of Christ. The vast majority came back and were sharing about how dry they were, about how empty they felt. And it, it really surprised me, the number. There were some, of course, who were doing great, but the vast majority, including going up to senior levels of leadership and everywhere I went and even beyond our community to other communities I was doing, and even the evidence of this was, was so obvious as so many of the missionaries that I know that work with that transition out of the mission field back to the States or your, excuse me, Europe or wherever, they struggle so much to maintain an intimacy with the Lord because what the reality is, as we're on the field so often, what happens is our, our energies go into the doing, into the meeting the needs, into running and performing and doing all this stuff that we don't actually take care of what matters. We're not running out of an overflow of a life in Christ, but more of the fumes of our corporate times to gather, of those big meetings we run out and we go do, and then we come in back and recharge, and run out and do, and then come and recharge. And, and the Lord put deeply upon my heart and a buddy of mine who was in a similar season of ministry and doing the program with me, that, it was, that he wanted us to shift gears and address this in our community. And so we, uh, we went to the Lord in prayer and, and, and devised this two-year discipleship track that we felt the Lord was telling us to do to specifically focus on this area of, of, of rootedness, of connectedness to God, that, 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 that He would be our source, that He would be our life, not just for us, but for all of those that we work with. And, and that's been the focus of the last two years, has been this two-year discipleship journey. It starts with a kind of a traditional Youth with a Mission discipleship training school, which is a six-month program that anyone can do after high school, just so you guys know. 
Um, and then what we did is we, we've adjusted it and, and changed it so that it's actually a, almost a two-year program that involves a, a year-long Bible school. Where we go through every book of the Bible and we go through and seeing the character and nature of God. But through everything, the goal of it being not just to get information or learn about God, it's not to change behavior and it's not to deal with sin management of some kind, but the heart of it is that we want each person to grow in deeper intimacy with this God-man Jesus Christ. We want to create healthy rhythms and disciplines that order, that, are, that order people's lives around truly keeping Jesus at the center of their lives, so that people can walk from a place of, of, of overflow, of being with Jesus, that he is the centerpiece of what's going on, not someone they run to to get filled up every week or every, even every day, but we're actually living out of this place that Jesus is my source of life. And, and so that was our focus. And it has been, you know, in 21 years now, I've been in ministry and doing this. And all that time, I've had a lot of fun things. So those don't know, I mean, I've, I, I got to travel a ton. God used me. I, I was a little bit crazy, especially in my early 20s and mid-20s and late. And, and did a lot of really weird stuff for God and saw God do amazing, crazy things from working with cannibals and working with refugees and war zones and seeing thousands of people impacted for the gospel and training thousands of pastors and seeing every miracle you could want to see from, you know, the dead, the death or sorry, the, the deaf receiving uh, hearing, the mute speaking, the blind receiving sight, and arms regrowing, just crazy miracles of God doing all sorts of cool stuff, and cannibals giving their lives to Christ. It was amazing, and I could go on and on about wonderful stories, but nothing has excited me as much as the last two years. It has been more rewarding than the last two years. As I've actually slowed down, and the focus has been how do we go deep with the people we're working with and help them more deeply engage with God in the midst of this generation that doesn't understand intimacy, that doesn't understand what it's like to be able to genuinely be rooted in who God is, but to actually spend some time focusing on that. And, and I, I can share endless stories, but one that really sticks out to me is, is uh, my, my buddy named Andrew. Andrew, uh, I have to share about people from South Africa and others, but Andrew's actually from Indiana. Um, we met him. He's from my, my wife's hometown. We met him while we were there, and, and uh, I recruited him to come do the program. Didn't really know him that well, and he joined us and, and flew over to join us, and he was right out of high school. Andrew is one of the most engaging people you'll ever meet as far as the greatest extrovert. He was a football player, a wrestler, the life of every room. You cannot have him in a room, and he won't make his presence known. He's always up, always talking, always doing, always excited. The most fun person you could hope to meet, he will be the, the talk of every crowd. He can go to, his favorite thing is to mingle and get to know new people kind of thing. Some of us hate those kinds of people. Other people, it's just wonderful to have them around because there's always a party when Andrew's there, right? And, and just, he also was adopted and was dealing with, he just recently given his life to Christ and was dealing with a lot of pain. And when he came in, one of the first exercises we did when we started the program was I, I had everyone, uh, within the first few days, we just had a ton of silence just sitting with God. And I, gave, I set a timer for 15 minutes. Let's just sit with the Lord and let's just be with him. Just as kind of a, 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 not that crazy of an idea, just 15 minutes, just sit in silence with the Lord. I said, you can't even open your Bible. Just sit in silence with the Lord. And see what he may say and talk to God. After about two minutes, the people, we had about 60 people in the room. The people started moving around. After three minutes, you could tell people were getting awkward. And it was after 10 minutes, very few people were still anymore. By the time I hit 15, I don't even know if I made it to 15. I think I went to 15. It was, the room was, had basically lost control. It was, it, it, there, there was no one that could sit still. And I mean, Andrew just jumps in and goes, this is stupid. Why are we wasting our time doing this? Who could just sit still for this long? That lasted about a minute. Fast forward 18 months. Andrew, with all his passion, there was no one who I could imagine that would struggle more with being with Jesus than Andrew in the sense of the energy levels. 
that he has. Fast forward 18 months. I'm teaching on a school. This is just a few months ago. And in this school, it's, it's students that had just arrived to our community, but they got to know all our other students. And one of the students, I was, I was talking about this idea of, of resting in the presence of God. And, and one of the students said, hey, I met one of your students. And he says, the other day we were hiking up the mountain behind our building, which is about a two-hour hike to the top of the mountain and down. And he says, on the way up, I met this guy who was sitting on the rock right at the beginning, and he had his Bible with him. I asked him what he was doing, and he said, I'm just spending time with Jesus. He goes, that was so weird. He didn't have a phone on him, didn't anything. So we, we did the hike, and we came back down over an hour later, and the guy's still sitting there on that rock. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just spending time with Jesus. And he says, I, I didn't understand. I asked him more questions, and he said, I'm just out here with God, just spending time with him, because I love him. And he says, I was so overwhelmed this guy could do that. And, and the guy he's referring to was Andrew. Right? Was, was this, this young kid named Andrew who's, who could never sit still for more than a second. But to me, it, this doesn't show that the goal of our, what we do isn't to get people to spend hours in prayer. That, that's not it. But to me, it's the evidence of the fruitfulness of what we were doing that his life had been reordered around the place, that his longings was when he had free time, he says, Lord, I, I want to sit. I just want to take some time to be with you. And that's a, a challenge that so few of us Honestly, we're at those spaces. I mean, how many of us actually want to take time, extended time, just to sit in the presence of God without distraction? Many of us may say yes, but the reality is, immediately all those distractions start hitting us, and we actually can't be present with God. And, and this is actually the message that God has been really drilling into my heart over the last few years. It started a few years ago when I was uh, just spending some time in the Gospels, and specifically looking at the life of Jesus and his prayer life. And if you read in, in Luke, there's some beautiful stories about the prayer life of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 5, um, in verse 16, after he heals the paralytic in this whole process, it says, but, but Jesus would regularly or often withdrew to lonely places in the wilderness to pray with his Father. As a, as a regular occurrence. Actually, if you, if you read the ESV or some of the other translations, they're actually not correctly translated. They don't correctly translate the Greek, and the the Greek actually shows that it's a regular process, and and they just say he withdrew, but it says he often, or he regularly, is the correct translation, withdrew into lonely places. It was a regular practice, and you see that evidence in the life of Christ when you read the Gospels, that he made time with his father priority in his life. Now, Jesus was not a lazy person. He had an incredibly full schedule, but frequently in the Gospels, you see in the middle of all this crazy ministry, people lined up for healing, and Jesus says, I need to stop and go be with my Father. Right? I need to be with Him. I need to spend time with Him. And the disciples are often, where is He? And they always, He's off somewhere alone with His Father. And the Lord began to impress upon me that, that James, if, if the God-man Jesus Christ required to slow down and spend time with me, how much more so you? Because my life was not marked by Spending time with Jesus. Now, I was a great missionary by outside appearances, and I loved Jesus in many ways. I was a great soldier for God. If you were to ask me to describe my relationship with God, I would say it's because I'm a soldier for Christ. I, I will do anything for him. I will run for him. I will go anywhere for him. But the idea of sonship kind of weirded me out because I didn't like sitting in silence. I didn't like slowing down. I like a fast pace. I want to do. I want to go. I want to keep moving because that's where I feel valuable in what I do. And God was challenging me to say, James, it's time for you to actually slow down. Not necessarily be less busy with your schedule, though that would involve that as well, but this idea, the most beautiful way that I've understood it came from the words of Dr. Dallas Willard, if you know who that is. 
Um, and uh, years back, uh, a younger John Ortberg asked Dallas Willard the question, how can I uh, grow and become more healthy spiritually? And the late Dr. Willard told him, he says, if you want to grow spiritually, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So that hurry is the greatest enemy of spirituality, of growing in Christ. And immediately like, what? But it, it makes actually perfect sense in the, in, in the way that when we are hurried, we actually can't be present to anything around us. And this is what God began to really impress upon my heart is that my sense of always needing to be somewhere and be hurried had prevented me from actually being able to be present with my children, my wife, and especially God. Because even my times with the Lord, I would take times with God, but they would be very structured, and they would be structured around me not having to sit and listen to Him. Because when I'm in silence, my brain goes weird places, and I don't like those feelings and those thoughts that go in there, and so I filled my life with distractions. Even my times with God were filled with distractions of other things. But it affected so much more than my time with God. It affected my ability to sit with my wife when her, her, her love language is just quality time of being together. And when we're together, I sit in silence. Okay, so now what do you want to do? My wife's just, just be here. And I'm like, but let's, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. No, just be. I, I can't handle that because I've got to be doing something. There's not efficiency in that process. To sit with my child and, and just watch them build Legos or something, I, I, I would struggle so much with that because... The way they play is, you, I do it, you watch. Right? That equals play. Not just, to me, play is I get to build, I get to do, and I get to play with you. That's engaging. But the way you play, no, you watch me, that's playing. I get bored real quick. But the ability to kind of slow down, and I was so challenged by this. And one of the things that Dallas Willard um, really mentioned as far as one of the, the ways to address this was through a, a spiritual discipline uh, to deal with hurried sickness. And, and at this time in my life, when I was kind of engaging with all this material, there was a real clear reality hit me. And that was, I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm a terrible driver uh, as far as super aggressive, but I'm probably above average in aggressiveness. And, and in my style of driving, I, I think it's probably more common than people care to admit, but I'm the kind that I, the yellow definitely means speed up, especially in South Africa, because South Africa and most of the world, they don't have defensive driving training. You have offensive driving training because you're supposed to cut people off. You're supposed to jump in the line. You don't wait. You just, you just go. And so I've become pretty aggressive. And if there's a yellow, it means you go. If, I mean, when I drive, it's that understanding that probably quite unhealthy that when I'm driving and there's someone that's sitting next to me in traffic, my immediate brain is, if that person arrives at the destination before me, I have failed as a human being, right? And, and so my need is to be there. And so I will weave in and out. And of course, what usually happens is I end up multiple cars back, and which leaves me seething in great angst and can even ruin my morning because of how terrible that they should be for me, for me in some ways. Or if someone were to go slower in a lane and, and I'm always weaving in out of traffic, and if someone stops at a stoplight, I, I, when it's still yellow, it just it angers me to no end. Or even a better example of it is at the grocery store. If you go in and you all the lines of, of lines, and, and I, what I'll take a couple seconds just to quickly analyze all the lines and analyze who is likely going to have the most coupons, which, which is the, maybe there's an, an elderly checkout lady that's going to go a little slower, so avoid that one, calculate that in, and you know, make the quick calculation of what's the quickest line to get into and step into that one. But even then it's not enough because then I spend the next 10 minutes standing in line making sure that no one place that I could have of all the other six lines would possibly have gone quicker than me. And, and if I happen to get there and I see the person that was next to me get through, I genuinely have angst in my heart. And that's probably just me. Um, but, 
that's kind of the way I, I was at. I was always doing that. And, and the Lord brought it all to a head as I was driving when J.J. was born, our oldest, who is, is now five. And he was in the back seat. He was an infant in his car seat. And I was driving down the road. Never forget it. And, and, and I was coming up to a yellow light. And uh, there's one car in front of me. It just turned yellow. And I was starting to speed up because clearly both of us are going to make it. And even the car behind us and them could probably make it. There was plenty of room to get through. And as I'm speeding up, they slam on their brakes to stop at a yellow light. And, and I almost get an accident. I had to slam on my brakes, skid to a stop. And in the process, I'm screaming, going, what is wrong with you? I've probably said something different. But um, <laughs> as I almost got in an accident, barely missed hitting them. In that process, my son is smashed into his car seat. And we didn't have an accident. But he is jolted awake and starts screaming out. And I'm yelling at this time. He's like, what is wrong with you? And immediately the conviction of the Lord hit because I've been going through this study of the life of Jesus and listening to Dallas Willard about this whole thing of hurry. And I just at that moment almost cried. I'm like, God, I need help. Like, the is, I'm not going anywhere. I didn't need to be anywhere at that point. But I was willing to risk the life of my child and ruin my whole day because for some stupid reason I felt the need to always be doing something and to always be going somewhere. And so in that moment, the Lord really spoke to me, and he actually challenged me with a, a challenge that, that Willard had given, that I needed to then, to deal with this, I had to institute a spiritual discipline of slowness, which was really, if you know me, you know how painful this would be. And so what, the, what I did was for a number, about six months, I would always drive in the slowest lane. For about six months, I would never run a yellow light if I could help it. And I say six months because after about that time, it started becoming normative. For, for six months at the grocery store, and this was the most painful one for me of all, I would go to the grocery store and I would look for the longest line and I would go and stand in it, even if I knew there was an empty checkout line three, three, three steps over. I'd stand in the line with three people. Ladies would go, sir, you can come over here. And I'd be like, um, you, you guys can go. I'm like, no, it's all right. I'll stand. I'll, I'll stand. It's okay. I mean, everything in me is like, go. And I'm, nope, I'm, gonna, I'm not in a hurry. I'm going to learn. In the beginning, it was beyond painful. But over time, I noticed God be doing a deep work within my heart as he began to allow me to realize I don't have to rush everywhere. And as a result, I began doing a deep spiritual, and it sounds like a physical thing, like how does that relate to prayer? It relates in the most deeply ways because we are human beings and what we do matters. With our, what we do with our bodies matter. It affects our, our, our lives with God and with everyone. And as I began to be more present in those times, and I used to begin to use those times, even in the checkout lines, to, to talk to people, to get to know people. As I began to use the times in my car, my car became a sacred place where I would use it to meet with God rather than always turn the radio on as the first thing I did to be distracted, but actually engage with God in those times. As I began to look at those times of playing with my children as times opportunities that are beautiful to be with them. I get the opportunity to take my son to school every day, which is about a 20-minute drive or so each day. And there are times when I just like, ah, it's so frustrating, stuck in traffic. But I realize my son's in my back seat and he is a nonstop talker. What a joy I had to be present with my son and hear from him and talk to him as we talk about everything of the day. And when he gets out of the car, I have to drive 20 minutes to work. And man, what a beautiful opportunity for me then to be gratitude and just to spend that time with Jesus in that way on that car. And God began to rewire my brain of my ability to be present with him. I'm not perfect in it by any shape of the imagination. As Steve even mentioned after the last service, and I'm like, what can I do in this next service? He goes, James, you're talking too fast. You speak about hurry, but you hurry. And I'm like, dang it, that's something. There's a lot of discipleship and places and growth for me that still have yet to be seen. And I, I don't know how to teach slowly. And that's something I'm going to have to grow in. Um, 
But in this season of life, we're in the most exhausting season of life I can imagine, and that is three under five. And there is no such thing as peace in our house. There's no such thing as quiet. Maybe it's peace sometimes, but quiet doesn't exist. Um, and just to be able to learn what, what God has been showing me is just the beauty of that five minutes, you know, just wherever it is, taking five minutes here, five minutes there, would be on the toilet in the shower. Um, in South Africa, you only get 90-second showers because of the drought, so no long periods there. But um, whether it be in the car or wherever it is, those times I have to, to capitalize on those times that we have throughout the day to say, Lord, I just want you to be my source. And the ushers, you can pass out the communion. We're going to do communion this morning. Um, and I, I want to I challenge us. I, I assume in a room like this that I'm, I'm not the only person that has struggled with this. Uh, there, there may be some of you that have actually, you could typify your life by saying that, that you know, that I, I'm living out of the overflow of, of Christ's life in my life and, and things are great. And for that, I say, amen, continue to lead the way and, and influence the rest of us. Um, but for most of us, regardless of age, we're stuck kind of in this hamster wheel. I mean, I know the people I work with uh, in this age of Instagram and Snapchat and, and, and Facebook, and it's not just the young people, the old, every time there is a break of any program at a meeting or anything else, the phone immediately comes out without even a thought and begins scrolling through their feed of Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram or what it is. They don't even know what's on there. There's no need, but it's just this need to fill our lives with distractions because we're so much angst within our lives and hurriedness that we live within that we can't actually be present. I want to challenge us that there is, that is not what we were created for. We were not created to forever be so filled with distractions that we can never be present to one another. That even when people are talking, we're thinking about other stuff and our minds are always running and other stuff. The Lord wants us to grow in our ability to be present with Him. This doesn't just mean spending lots of time in quiet times and everything else. It's, it's actually learning to, to, to take the times we have and learn to actually address that heart condition that says I can never be satisfied and I can't slow down. To be able to take that cell phone and, and put it away or put it on silent and set it aside. I know so many people, even their quiet times, they do on their phones. But of course, what ends up happening? You read the Bible, you get six text messages, you get another email, you get a notification. And we can't even be present with God in those times. And so we're going to take communion this morning. And communion is such a beautiful thing that Jesus is showing. There's so many different aspects to look at it. But the one I want to focus on this morning is really an angle of getting off that hamster wheel of constant need to perform and, and, and run. And when, when Jesus, in the book of Luke, he describes the story of Jesus at, at the Last Supper. And, and he says that, you know, that, that Jesus takes the bread... And he breaks it, and he, and he tells the disciples that this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, and then he takes the cup, and, and, he, and he drinks it, and he says, this covenant is my new blood. And he tells them to drink it in remembrance of him. And, and you know, there's so many beautiful nuances of that, but for me, the, thing, the disciples, I can't help but think that, that what is in their mind, what they were focusing on or thinking about as Jesus was saying that, and if not then, definitely after, was that John chapter 6 when Jesus is, is, is basically separating the herd of those who will follow him and those who won't. And he gives them this crazy message that says, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This crazy message. And as a result, all the people switches. And the true disciples remain. They're confused, but they stay. And everyone else says, we're not going to do that. That's weird. Because what Jesus is telling them in John chapter 6 is he tells them, you have to be willing to partake of me because I am the bread of life. 
I am your source and in me is life. Not in the world, not in all those other things, not in your jobs, not in everything else. In me is the source of life. And to me, communion is often a chance for us to just kind of recenter and just say, God, you, I take this bread that you broke for us, that you came, as he says in John chapter 6, so that we may have life. And so as we take communion this morning, I want us to meditate upon that reality that God, or that Jesus is our bread of life and his longing for us is to be our source. Now, source in multiple contexts. Yes, in the sense of creation, that he spoke the world into existence, so he is our source of life but more so and that He is our daily source throughout the day, that He wants to be the reason that we move. He wants to be in and involved in aspects of our life. He wants us to engage with Him and be present with Him in our lives, to grow to know Him, to walk with Him. So as I learn to love my wife, it's not just me and my own energy loving her, but it's being done because as I meet with God and I am with Him, my love for my wife grows and my love for my children grows and my love for others grows as I meet with him and I get to be present with him and can actually hear from him. So we're going to take communion once it's finished being passed. As we do that, what I'm going to have us do is I'm going to have us take just a a three-minute break of just silence. Take three minutes in just absolute silence. The worship people come up and we'll finish with a, with a song of worship. Of, but I, I, before we do that, I want us just to sit with three minutes of silence. And in those three minutes after we take communion, I want us to meditate upon Jesus as the bread of life. That he is our source. And that he wants to be the center, the lifeblood from which we move. Okay? I beg of you not to consider the day's journeys and everything else that's happening for tomorrow or camp or everything else. But just center it upon who he is. Amen? So, let us take of the bread. Just thank you for your body that is broken for us. And let us drink of the cup. We say thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice for us. And now let us fix our eyes upon him. And rest in his presence for the next three minutes. Now, the reality is that wasn't even a, a full two minutes for those of you that felt that it was 10 or 15. Um, and I, I, I realize also for many of us, even in that time, likely your thoughts were already on the rest of the day next week. But even just with almost, it was about a minute and 45 seconds, we struggled to even be present even in that small amount of time. And I want to challenge us, even this week moving forward, is to, to seek the Lord in regards to our own heart condition of hurriedness. Lord, am I able to be present with you, present with my family, present with my spouse? Am I making that a priority? And maybe there's something God may be speaking to you about reordering those steps in your life about making that a priority in our life. Um, Thank you very much. We're going to move into a time of worship just to celebrate God and just know that we'll also be outside if you want to sign up for a newsletter or uh, get a prayer magnet as as we head out for the time. But thank you so much.